Good. Hey, hey, Dustin, can I get the lights up a little bit? I like to see everybody. I can't see you, Ted. That doesn't work for me. You back there? I see. I mean, you just look good. You look good this morning. Hey, um, if you don't know me, my name is JT. I'm one of the pastors here at Freshwater. So thankful that everybody's here. So thankful that you're here. If you're new, in particular, I see a couple new faces. And so if I didn't get to meet you before the service, please come find me. I'd love to meet you. I'd love to find out how you ended up at Freshwater and then answer any questions that, that you, might, you might have. Um, so I'm, I'm ready. You ready? Just ready to jump in? Let me just start with a question. Uh, how many people do you think are out there that really just know what they're meant to do? But they just know it. They just feel it. Like, I, this is what I'm meant to do. How many people do you think are actually out there that feel that way? Because have you, have you ever been around someone like that that just has this confidence, this, just like, this, this certainty? If you've ever been around someone like that, it's kind of appealing, isn't it? It's appealing for them to, to have that certainty, just to know for sure. Because I know before I became a pastor 10 years ago, and if you're newer to Freshwater um, or new-ish to Freshwater, I didn't plan on being a pastor. I didn't really want to be a pastor. God changed everything about my life. And so 10, 10 years ago, I remember thinking about this all the time. Now, here's the truth. If you've probably heard me talk about this before. I didn't hate my job. In fact, I, uh, let's say I kind of liked it. Is that fair for most of our jobs, right? I kind of liked it. I didn't love it. I kind of liked it. It was fine. It got the, it got the job done. Sorry, that was totally by accident, but it did. It, don't, don't cheer that on. It was an accident. It was not on purpose. All right, I, it got the job done, but I remember I would still, like, still kind of daydream about like, what I was meant for. If I could do anything, if I could figure out what I was meant to do, um, would I be more happier? Right? Would, it, would I feel more fulfilled? Um, it just didn't feel like selling stuff, and that's what I did. I was, I was a salesman. It just didn't feel like se selling stuff was what I was meant for. But I would see these people who, who seemingly loved what they did, right? They, they at least seemed that they were really fulfilled in their life. And I had a good life. I'm not, I wasn't complaining about my life, but they would just seem like really fulfilled in what they were doing and the direction they were going. And whether that perception was reality or not, because you never really know, right? You never really know if people really do feel fulfilled. But whether that perception was accurate or not, I, I would long for that. I would want that. I'd want the certainty of that. Well, today we're going to be looking at a man that seemed to know exactly what he was meant for, exactly what he was meant to do, exactly what, what he was called to in his life. And, and by the end of the day, I think we're going to discover that um, we don't have to spend that much time wondering what we are meant to do, what we are meant for. And I think this man's life is going to reveal a lot, of, actually in the end, our own, our own lives. So if you haven't been with us, we're, we're walking through the Gospel of John, and our tagline is there, to know and believe. And so the Gospel of John was written through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by one of Jesus' closest disciples, one of his closest friends, a man who gave his whole life to Christ, died an old man, following Christ his whole life, a man named John. And so, so far what we've seen, it's been pretty simple. John has just tried to make crystal clear exactly who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Word of God, that Jesus is life, that he is light, that he is our grace, that he is our truth, that he is the one that gives us the right to become children of God, that he was God in the flesh, that he is the Son of God, and he is the one that makes God known. That's all he's done so far in 18 verses, that he makes God known. Well, today... The writer of the gospel about Jesus is going to introduce us to the one who prepared the way for Jesus. The one who prepared the way for Jesus. In short, John is going to tell us about who? John. Which is where it gets confusing, especially if you're newer to church, if you're newer to this, this whole Bible thing, that can get confusing. So um, what, what John 
the, the writer of this gospel, the, the, the brother of James, James, the son of Zebedee, the disciple of Christ, that John is going to in, introduce us to who we call John the Baptist, who's actually cousins with Jesus Christ. So today, I'm going to do my best, right? Try to stay with you. I'm going to do my best when I talk about John the Baptist to refer to him as John the Baptist or just simply the Baptist and, um, and John as just John, but that's going to get intertwined. So I'm going to do my best, but just try to stay with me. But most of the time, most of the time, when I'm talking about John today, I'll be talking about John the Baptist. Does that work for you? Because this gets confusing, right? We go one step at a time, right? One step at a time. And John has already kind of um, um, told us a little bit about John in verses um, 6 through 8. He talked about him. In verse 15, he talked about him. But, but this week, we're really going to get introduced to him. We're really going to get to know him. And that's an important thing. Because I don't know if you realize this. In the Gospels, almost no one gets more real estate in the Bible. Almost no one is talked about more in the Gospels and even into the book of Acts than John. Did you realize that? Other than Jesus, Jesus is an obvious one. Maybe Peter, may, maybe James and the writer of this gospel, John. But John the Baptist gets more time uh, talked about than anybody else. Like, listen, you know most of the disciples, they don't get hardly any real estate time in the, in, in the gospels. Have you ever thought about that? We don't know hardly anything about the disciples other than Peter, James, and John. We get a little bit here and a little bit there, but we don't even know much about the disciples. Yet, do, do you know what Jesus said about John in Matthew 11? Matthew 11, he said, there has never been a man born of woman that is greater than John. Think about that for a second. Abraham, Moses, the prophets, and Jesus is saying that he was miraculously born, right? So he's in a different category, right? But of, of men that were born from women, no one is greater than John. That's who we're going to be talking about today. So sometimes we just say, oh yeah, John the Baptist, right? Oh yeah, John the Baptist. But um, apparently Jesus thought this guy was super important for us to really understand what he was doing and what he was trying to accomplish. And so we're going to read about him today. And I think his, we're going to see that really the one sole purpose of his life as I said before, I think his, the sole purpose of his life is going to help inform the call, the purpose of our lives. So if you haven't opened up already, open up to John chapter 1. Let's look at verse 19. John chapter 1, verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you, are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. All right, so... Let me give you some context. For us to fully grasp what's going on here, we need to know a little bit about Jewish history. And at this time in Jewish history, there were all kinds of rumors and thoughts and expectations and anticipations surrounding the coming of the Messiah. It was a big deal at this time, ironically, because this is when the Messiah came, right? But the Jews were like, there's all these different factions and all these different people thought all these different things about what the Messiah would be. A lot of them thought, and you've, maybe you've heard me talk about this before, a lot of them thought that Jesus was going to be this Davidic king, right? From the line of David, and he was going to come and he was going to be this conqueror and he was going to bring down Rome. He was going to set them free basically militarily like David was a military king. Others thought that he was going to be this great priest from the line of Levi, right? He was going to be a priest that somehow would set them free. And even others thought he was going to be like this great prophet, the, basically the fulfillment of, of what a prophet is meant to, this prophet that Moses spoke of. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But everyone was looking and talking about the coming Messiah and everybody had a different opinion about how it's going to happen. Does that remind you of anything? 
There's going to be a second coming of the Messiah, right? Does anybody ever debate what that's going to look like? Is that not all over the map on what people think? that the end, We call them the end times, right? The, the end times when Jesus returns. Everybody's got, not everybody, but almost everybody's got a different opinion about what's got. Yeah, all the time, people come up and ask me like, well, this thing happened in the world. Don't you think this is a sign of the end times? Hey, no judgment. Whether it is or isn't, that happens all the time. And so many people think, not everyone, but so many people they think they have it figured out. They know how this thing's going to go down. They know that it's coming. Listen, it was kind of the same in, in Jesus' time about the first coming. About the first coming. Then John the Baptist comes on the scene in the middle of this. A man, if you haven't heard a story, that lived out in the wilderness. And another gospel written, Matthew 3 says that he wore camel hair and leather and he ate locust and honey, and he was just out in the wilderness. Like, it seems that John was just kind of weird, right? But have you ever read the Bible? Some of the prophets did some really weird things, didn't they? God had them to, to draw attention, to be different. God, God had the, the prophets do weird things, and, and he seemed kind of weird. But yet, despite this strangeness, people were coming from all over the region to hear John preach, to hear John teach, and to be baptized by John. Big deal. He was drawing a lot of attention. And we see from the Gospels, not only was he, he, did he have a ton of disciples, John had his own disciples. Not only did he have a ton of disciples, but his influence spread all the way through the Gospels. Even after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, there's still people in the book of Acts talking about how they're disciples of John. This dude had major influence right before Christ came. He's, he's a big deal. Many people thought he was a prophet, and he was. And considering the time, many people probably thought he was the actual promised Messiah. Even though John was saying, I'm not the Messiah, people probably still thought that he was. So now people are coming from all over, all over the region. He's drawing all of this attention. And you can imagine what happens. Because on the other side of that, of John, who's kind of out in the wilderness doing his own thing, they got the Sanhedrin. Right? So the Sanhedrin was the ruling body over Jerusalem, over Israel. And it was, it was full of Levites, basically. So you had the high priest, who was the high of the high priests. Right? Usually his family kind of made up a lot of the Sanhedrin, but then other Levitical priests. And so just a very short version of that, there's different tribes in Israel. And the Levite tribe, God gave them the responsibility to be the spiritual leaders over Israel. Right? To make sure they were, they were following God's commands and basically being mediators between God and man. And so the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling body, sends this team of people, which consisted of priests, but it probably just consisted of Levitical workers, because not every Levite was a priest, right? But they had people that would just work in the temple, do security, do things around the temple. Even those people were Levites. And so they sent a team of Levitical priests and, and Levites and other people to come check out what the heck what John was doing. Because let's, let's be honest, it was their job to lead Israel spiritually. So this, this makes sense. Because this random guy, and I'm going to say, John's not that random. I don't know if you knew this. His dad was actually a Levitical priest, right? But John was not. And so this kind of random guy is out in the wilderness drawing all of this attention, teaching, preaching, baptizing in this way that's weird. We'll talk about his baptism in a second. And so these religious leaders, as it says in verse 22, sends a delegation to, to, to this guy to, to find out what the heck is going on and report back. But again, I don't want us just to look down on that. Doesn't that make sense that they do that? right? It's a weird deal. But it does make sense. On the other hand, that being said, the Gospels consistently talk about how the religious leaders, many of them, maybe not all of them, we get exceptions like Nicodemus and some other ones, but many of the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, they were much more interested in protecting their own power, their own influence, their own popularity than they were in following God. 
We're going to see that play out in the Gospels big time, right? Where Jesus comes down on them hard for basically leading people into evil instead of leading people to God. Jesus was harder on the religious leaders than he was anybody else. Way, way harder on them than sinners because it was their job to lead people to God. Yet they were missing it because they were worried about their power. They were worried about their influence. So these people on these team come to John and whether they had good intentions or not, right? We don't know. They basically came to him and said, who are you? Which is a fair question. Who are you? Why are you doing this? And first, John responds not with who he is, but with three people, really three figures that he isn't. So let's talk about all of them real quick, those three. The first one he says is, I'm not the Christ. Now that seems like the obvious one, right? I'm not the Messiah. They were all waiting for the Messiah, and at this time, I kind of cut a lot of this out, but there had been a lot of false messiahs that had come before, and a lot of those false messiahs claiming to be the Christ had caused a lot of trouble. So again, it makes sense that they're here. They're afraid this guy's going to stir the people up, and and it caused Rome to come down on them by the things that he's saying. So he says right out of the gate, "I'm I'm not the Christ. I'm not stating to be the Christ. I'm not him. Then the second person he says that he's not is Elijah. Now, before we, get on, before we get into that, let me address something. This is something I said last week, but I'm going to say it again. If you've ever been the type of person, or if you've ever heard people say, hey, listen, I don't really, I don't really read the Old Testament. I don't care that much about the Old Testament because I'm a New Testament Christian. Right? I'm a New Covenant Christian. I know what they mean by that. Right? We are New Testament Christians. We are New, we are new Covenant believers. Yes, and amen to that. But that, that, we don't do that in ignoring the Old Testament. I'm, just gonna, I'm, I'm about to lovingly, gently, kindly prove that, that that kind of attitude that the Old Testament, that's not for me anymore because I'm a New Testament Christian, is just, is just wrong. I say that lovingly because uh, I, I want you to embrace the full, the, full, the full counsel of God, not because I'm trying to be right. right? But that, that's just wrong. Because here's why it's wrong. Because John is about to refer to the Old Testament again and again and again and again. The the writer of the gospel, John, is about to refer to the Old Testament again and again and again. And the next 20 minutes, I'm about to throw more scripture at at you than I normally like to because I don't want to overwhelm you with scripture. But the reason I'm going to do that is because because John keeps referring to to it. And John the Baptist keeps referring to it. Like again and again and again. Listen, all of the promises and prophecies in the Old Testament are are being fulfilled right now with the story of John the Baptist. Through John the Baptist in the beginning, beginning of Christ's ministries, all of these Old Testament prophecies are coming together. And so without understanding the Old Testament and what's happening, things just don't make sense. And Elijah is the perfect example. If you just read this story, and it started off, they asked, are you Elijah? Well, one, you didn't know who Elijah is. But even if you knew he was an Old Testament prophet, they're like, why are they asking him who, if he's Elijah? That wouldn't make any sense. So we have to understand the Old Testament. So here's, here's who Elijah was. He was a powerful like a powerful Old Testament prophet. He lived about a thousand years before Christ did. And he was known, like Elijah was known for calling people to repentance, calling people away from their sin and to come back to the Lord. Now, why in the world would a prophet that lived a thousand years ago, why would they ask John if he was this prophet Elijah? He lived a thousand years before. They knew, they know, they knew that. So why would they ask well, it's because of another prof- prophecy from another prophet named Malachi. Malachi lived four or 500 years after Elijah, and about 600 years before Christ was born, kind of in, in between. And Malachi said this in Malachi 4 or 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. In Malachi 3, it also says that God is going to send a messenger to prepare the way for the Lord. This is a prophecy of the one who's going to come to prepare the way for the Messiah, to prepare the way for the Lord. That, that, and he will come as Elijah. 
I'm guessing they didn't really know what that meant. They maybe thought that Elijah was going to come down out of heaven and appear before them. I, I, there was, but there was a prophecy that when the Lord comes to redeem, to restore, when the Christ comes, someone, Elijah, was going to come prepare the way. But they asked John, are you Elijah? And what did he say? No. Do you know what that shows us? That even John didn't understand the full scope of who he is. He didn't understand the full scope of what God was doing in him and through him and around him. And I can say that pretty confidently because he says he's not Elijah, right? But in Matthew 11, that passage where I said that Jesus says that no one, no one that's been born is greater than John, right? In that same passage in Matthew 11, verses 13 and 15, just a little further down, Jesus says this, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is saying this is the guy. John is Elijah. Luke 1 gives us a little bit more clarity on exactly what this means. Luke 1 says that John the Baptist comes to turn hearts back to God, which is what he did. He called people to repentance and to go before him and in the, uh, go before the Messiah in the spirit of Elijah. So Jesus is not saying this is literally Elijah. What he is saying is that the same spirit of power that was with Elijah, that same awesome power that Elijah had, the one's going to come before him and he's going to have that same spirit and that spirit, the guy that comes in the spirit of Elijah, is John the Baptist. So although, hey, we don't know for sure, but although it seems that John the Baptist might not have fully understood who he is when he said, I am not Elijah, Jesus makes it clear that he is the one of, of prophecy, prophecies for centuries that had been laid out that there was someone to come prepare the way for the Messiah, and John is that guy. This is fulfilling promise after promise. And if, again, a good example, if you don't understand the Old Testament, this just doesn't even make any sense. It just seems weird. But if you understand, it's not weird at all. And then finally, John says that he is not the prophet. I don't know if you noticed, they didn't ask John if he is a prophet. And John didn't say, I'm not a prophet. They asked John if he is the prophet. And this goes back all the way back to the first five books of the Bible to Deuteronomy. When Moses speaks on behalf of God in Deuteronomy 18.18, Moses says this on behalf of God, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Now, if you remember from our series in Exodus, if you were here, the Jews really looked up to Moses as like the prophet of prophets. Like every prophet that came after Moses would kind of be defined by how they aligned with Moses because he was the guy. It was like Abraham and then Moses and then David and everybody else, right? So everybody was compared, compared to Moses. And all of these things, this prophet that, that Moses talked about that would come and kind of be the prophet. Listen, Moses was basically the prophet. But he's saying another one's going to come. The prophet is going to come, and he is going to truly speak the words of God. So since the time that Moses said that, they kind of waited for this time that the prophet would come. And so all of these things, the prophet, Elijah, the Messiah, they were all tied to the Christ. They were all tied to the Christ coming. And so what they're doing here is they're asking John in multiple different ways, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? I don't know if they're trying to trip him up or they're just walking through all these things. They're trying to figure out if the time of the Messiah has come. And John makes it very clear that I am not the Messiah. But he does make, um, but he also makes clear what he is in verse 23. So look at John chapter 1, verse 23. One more time. He said, I am the voice of of, of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. 
Now, he just said, who's, who's he quoting here? Isaiah, right? Get used to Isaiah. We're going to quote him a few more times. So Isaiah, this is from Isaiah 40, verse 3. Isaiah 40, verse 3, verse 3 written about 700 years before Christ was born. And what Isaiah is actually talking about here is the Jews have been taken, taken into exile in Babylon. So if you don't really know your Old Testament, the Jews had sinned against God again and again and again, worshiped false gods again and again and again. And God sent them prophet after prophet and told them, if you don't repent, if you don't stop worshiping these false gods, if you don't stop walking away from your sin, if you don't stop oppressing the poor, which is one of the number one things he had against them, they were not fighting for the, for the hearts and they weren't fighting for the needy. They were oppressing the needy. And he said, if you don't stop these things, I'm going to destroy you, and I'm going to send you into exile. And what did they do with most of the prophets? They killed them. What did they do with John the Baptist? They, if you don't know the story later, they beheaded him. They killed him. What did they do with Jesus? Be careful with who you follow and who you trust. You better know that they walk in the light, not in the darkness. Because most of these men throughout time and women love their power more than they actually loved God. And so when God would come to speak with them, they would kill the prophets. Right? But Isaiah was saying to them, you're going to be in exile in Babylon, but God won't forget you. One day God will redeem you from exile. He will save you from that exile. And when he brings you out of exile and brings you back to the promised land, he'll clear the path from you. The path from Babylon to Israel was an extremely tough path, but God is saying, I'm going to free you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to save you from this exile, and I'm going to make the path straight. I'm going to make the path straight. And so John is using this He's using this passage to say that I am the one that Isaiah is actually talking about. I am the one has come to free people from their true exile, from the slavery of sin, from the slavery of this world. I'm coming to, to free them from the true exile and deliver them to the true promised land, the kingdom of God. I am the one in the wilderness calling out to prepare the way for the Lord, for the one who will do this, for the one who will redeem his people and bring them into the real promised land. John makes it clear, I am not the Christ but I do prepare the way for the Christ. So preparing the way for the Messiah is the first thing that John is obviously called to do. He was prophesied. He was meant to do this from birth. John was called from birth, before birth, to this path to prepare the way. But that's not the only thing he was meant for. Keep reading in verse 24. John 1, verse 24. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. The Pharisees was, were religious leaders. Verse 25, they asked him, Then why are you baptizing, if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. So, in this time in history, baptism wasn't unheard of. It wasn't common at all, but it wasn't unheard of. But in the way that John was doing it, it was unheard of. So, okay, so there was a, some, a Jewish sect that they would basically baptize people into Judaism, right? So if you weren't a Jew, a foreigner or whatever, and you came and you wanted to be a Jew, they would, they would have them baptize themselves into Judaism. There, there was another sect that would basically baptize themselves every day, and they would go into the water, and it was a sign of like ritual purity, it was a sign of their righteousness, but they all baptized themselves. 
They didn't baptize the people. And so John, not only um, baptizing people, but baptizing them himself and then saying, I'm baptizing you as a sign of repentance because the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God being at hand, the thing they've been talking about in the Old Testament, that, that the Messiah would come with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. That made them take pause. Why are you baptizing these people? And why are you saying that you're doing it for the repentance of their sins? Not that, not that John was saying he was forgiving their sins, but as a sign of their repentance to the Lord because the kingdom of God was at hand. And listen, they were questioning me because this was coming from no authority. Not the Sanhedrin, not the high priest, not the Sadducees, which is a religious sect, or the Pharisees, which is another religious leader sect. So basically asking him, what gives you the right to do this? Who gave you the right to do this? And I love John's response. He basically says, you think this is something? You're wondering about my authority? Someone is coming that you don't even know yet, and I'm not worthy to even untie his sandal. That's his response. Not that you can't tell me not to do this. You have no idea who is coming, what is coming. This, this person's coming. I can't even untie his sandal. Now, again, that, for maybe a couple of you in here, but we don't really get when they say, I'm not worthy to untie his sandal, the significance of that. Right? In, in the Old Testament, you'd have teachers, and they would have students, and basically they could treat their students like slaves. They made them do whatever they wanted. But you know what they could never do? have them take off their sandals or clean their feet. Because in the Old Testament, I know some of you hate feet, right? But this is not just hating feet. In the Old Testament, feet represented extreme uncleanness. It represented kind of everything that was unclean. You didn't show people the bottom of your feet. You didn't touch people's feet. They wore sandals in, in this land. People's feet were dirty all the time, right? So they, they were not allowed to ask people to take off their sandals, to mess with their feet. And so John, and this is John being incredibly humble. This incredibly humble statement says... I could keep talking, but that'll be pretty distracting. Are we about to start a rave? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Is a rave about to break out? Because you do not want to see me dance. Okay, so anyway, we planned that. We planned that one. We thought it'd be a good break in the seriousness. Um, anyway, so. John, right? We're talking about John the Baptist. In this incredibly humble moment, he says, listen, I'm not even unworthy to tie, untie this man's sandals, which you would never do, right? You would never do, but I'm not even worthy for this. It's an incredible declaration of the status and of the power and of the authority of the one he's claiming is to come. And listen, I, I'm sure it kind of just dumbfounded the religious leaders, when he said that, like, what, John, what the heck are you talking about? They just didn't have a concept to understand it. Listen, they were the religious leaders. They were responsible for leading all of Israel. And God is showing up in an incredible way. He has sent the prophet that he promised from a thousand years ago. He is here, and they just don't get it. They just can't see it. And if you're a faithful Christian, isn't that how sometimes it goes in our life? Do you know what I'm talking about? I think you're actually faithful to, to, to share Jesus with other people and who he means to you. You've experienced this. Have you ever had someone in your life that just doesn't understand your love for God and just doesn't understand the way you choose to live your life? It just doesn't make sense to them? I remember I had a conversation. I had a conversation with someone who just couldn't understand. I'm not even trying to make a joke. It's kind of funny. It's kind of not. But just couldn't understand why I wouldn't read Fifty Shades of Grey with them. 
Seriously, they're like, it's so good. And even I said, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I'm not trying to judge you. I can't read this book because of this, this, and this. And the response was, I, I know, but I, I get it. Okay, okay, but listen, it's so good. Don't read Fifty Shades of Grey. It's not that good, I'm sure, right? I've never read it. But listen, like they, did, they, they could not understand why I wouldn't read it with them. I've had other friends. I've had other family members, right? When, when there's an awesome movie that came out or an awesome TV show that came out, but it had content that I just couldn't reconcile with purity. I just couldn't reconcile with what God called me to do, right? I had convictions of, I can't watch that show. I can't do that thing. Could not understand why I wouldn't watch it with them. Like, and you know what the answer was to that? But, okay, I get it, I get it, but it's so good. I'm sure it is good. Man, there's some really entertaining things. As if it being good trumps everything that I believe in. But, like, that's really how it got communicated, like, isn't, it's good though. Shouldn't that trump the fact that you feel like you shouldn't do that? You're going to love it, right? Does that even seem abnormal? Has that ever happened to you? I hope it's happened to you. I hope you've walked in enough holiness and purity and obedience and self-control and discipline and steadfastness to the Lord that it's at least at one point has happened to you. I've had people when I've talked about the things that have happened on the north side through our faithfulness to the north side, how God has done these amazing things. And I've been talking to people, and I'm really excited about it. And I think it's amazing. And their eyes just kind of gloss over, and they're like, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, that's great. Ever happened to you? About overseas missions? About things that have happened there? About missionaries we support? Or just talking about what Jesus means to me? And they just don't get it. They just don't understand. Like, listen, I've shared all of those things with other, uh, with other people and I've seen the light bulb go off and I've seen their heart get ignited and I've seen them get excited about God and excited about the church and, and be very interested. So I've seen it go the complete opposite way too. Right? God igniting, igniting something in people's hearts. But if you're going to talk about Jesus, if you're going to share Jesus, some people just aren't going to get it. They aren't going to understand. Just like these Pharisees and Sadducees and Levitical priests and Levitical leaders. Do you know why? Because they don't really know God. They are walking, as John talked last week, in the darkness. They can't see the light. They don't understand the light. Jesus is not, the Holy Spirit has not illuminated their heart yet, so they just don't get it. Are you prepared for that, Christian? Because church, if you start pointing people to Christ, many just simply won't see it. They won't understand it. And they may even question why you choose to live your life the way you do. They're going to question the authority of Christ in you. And Matthew 28, you have the authority of Christ in you to do his work, to share his gospel, and they're just not going to get it. Just like they don't understand God. Think about this one more time. These are the religious leaders over all of Israel. And they can't see the prophet they've been waiting for. Not, not the prophet as in Jesus Christ, but the prophet to prepare the way for Christ is here and he's telling them, and he's getting hints toward it, and they can't see it. If this happens to you, Christian, don't be discouraged. Pray that God would open the hearts and minds of the people that you're, ta- you're talking to, the people that you love, your friends, your families, your coworkers, whatever it is, because that's what God does, isn't it? God opens the eyes and ears of people who are blind and deaf and in the darkness they cannot see. Because, yeah, a lot of the religious Jews and religious leaders rejected what John had to say and what Jesus had to say. But a lot didn't. A lot came, a lot saw, and a lot were saved. The truth of who God is was revealed to them because they were open to who God is. And so you pray that God would open hearts and minds to who he is, and then you remain faithful and do the work. You remain faithful and do the work. But John's not done. 
He's not done with them yet. For his call wasn't just to pay, pave the way for Christ, but to reveal to them who Christ really is. Read in verse 29. Let's finish out our passage for today. John 1, verse 29. The next day, and we have to assume that means the next day after they came to question him. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me. That's important, right? Because usually the person that comes first in ministry and has disciples first is kind of the man worthy of respect. And John came before Jesus, didn't he? But he's saying, the man who comes after me ranks before me. Because, he, because early he said, Jesus was before me. He existed before me. He comes before me. Verse 30 again, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me. Because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. That is the purpose of John's life, that he might be revealed to Israel. Verse 32, and John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So it's the next day after they've come. The religious leaders are still there and John says, there he is. Jesus is coming. He says, there he is. That is the one who was before me. That is the one who ranks above me. He is the one that I am unfit to untie his sandals. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You know, the truth is, I wonder, I wonder if John the Baptist even understood the full extent of what he just said. I know he had a concept of it, and I know that he said that God had told him some things, right? He's a prophet. God had told him some things, so he knew some things. But I wonder if he knew the full extent of what he just said when he said, Jesus is the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. I wonder if he understood the implications of the cross and how big that actually would be, right? Because John did have the Old Testament, didn't he? And from the Old Testament, he knew that there was the substitutionary sacrificial system where people could sacrifice something like a lamb to cover over their sins, to be a substitute for their own sins before God, to make them clean. He knew that. Of course he knew that. And he knew of other prophets like Jeremiah 33, who we quoted last week. And in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 33, it said that a new covenant was coming where God would remember their sins no more. John the Baptist would have known that. And he would have known about Isaiah. In Isaiah 53, a pro the prophet Isaiah, where he said that in Isaiah 53, that there would be a suffering servant that would be served up like a lamb to the slaughter. A suffering servant whose soul would be offered as a guilt and his crushed body would be offered for our iniquities. He knew all of this, but I wonder if the Baptist really understood the extent of what Jesus was actually going to accomplish on that cross on our behalf when he said, behold, the Lamb of God. I wonder if he knew. Either way, John makes it clear, this is why I came. This is why I'm here. This is what my ministry of baptism and repentance is actually about, that Jesus might be revealed to Israel as the Lamb of God, as the one who takes away the sins of the world, as the Christ. We call him Jesus Christ because he is the Christ, but they were looking for the Christ. And he's saying that this Jesus is the Christ. And John can do this not only because God called him to this from birth, but because he was a witness. 
like the writer of this gospel, John. John the Baptist was a witness to these, ta- these things. He is telling them that he was there at Jesus' baptism. This is what he's talking about, I bore witness. He was like, I was there. I was there when the sky opened up. I was there when the Holy Spirit descended on Christ like a dove and, 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 and stayed with him and was with him. I was there when the Father spoke and said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. I was there. I saw it. This is him. John says in verse 33 that God, that God himself who sent him and told him to baptize, that the one who would, who would baptize not with water but with the Spirit was, was coming. And that he would baptize, not only have the Spirit, but he would baptize others with the Holy Spirit. You see, in the Old Testament, maybe, maybe you've heard me talk about this before, but just a reminder, in the Old Testament, they didn't have the Holy Spirit like we do. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament would fall on people and they would do the will of God, or they would say the words of God, or they would be empowered by God, but the Holy Spirit didn't live with it inside of them because they weren't righteous. They weren't clean. They weren't pure. That's what Jesus Christ did for us. He washed away all of our sins to make us, cure, make us clean and pure and holy and blameless before God so his Spirit can now live inside of us. But that didn't happen in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit would fall and rest for a time, but then that power would come and it would fade away. But a prophecy about the Christ said that he would be different. That with him, it would be different. Let's read from the prophet Isaiah. Again, Isaiah 11.2 says this. Isaiah 11.2 says this. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Meaning, stay with him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So the spirit will rest on the Christ and not leave. That is what John is telling them has been fulfilled in Jesus. They knew these things. These were the religious leaders. They had to memorize an incredible amount of the Old Testament. They knew about the prophet. They knew these things in a way that we just really can't fully understand. And so when he says this, this is the man that was prophesied in Isaiah that would have the spirit of God. They know exactly what he's claiming. They know exactly what he is saying. So the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, rests on Christ and it does not leave. And Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. But not only that, not only that, but God told John that through Jesus, through the Christ, others would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Again, we take that for granted as Christians now, but like this was profound, insane, crazy, God-fulfilling prophecy, promises that were being fulfilled, and he was saying these things, and they would have been like, what are you saying? You're saying that this guy is the guy that the prophet Ezekiel talked about 600 years ago? This is what the prophet Ezekiel said about the coming of the Christ. In Ezekiel 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit, capital S, spirit, Holy Spirit, within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Oh, church, we take that one for granted. But this was one of the unbelievable promises about the Christ, the unbelievable promises of the Holy Spirit. How could God's Spirit dwell in people? Remember, the culmination of Exodus was just God's Spirit falling on the tabernacle. His glory coming to the tabernacle. And that was an enormous deal. Like it was such a big deal. And it, you remember all the details that had to go in the temple and all the ritual cleaning and all the, and just the crazy things that, could, that had to happen just for God's spirit to fall in the tabernacle. But Ezekiel saying that the Holy Spirit is going to be within us. 
John is telling them, John the Baptist is telling them in this passage that before all this happened, before the Holy Spirit descended on, on Jesus, that even he didn't fully understand who Jesus was. But now he does. Now he does because he witnessed it all. And God himself spoke to John about who Jesus really is. And that this telling, revealing to others about who Jesus truly is, is the call of his life. This is what he was meant for. To prepare the way for Christ and to bear witness about the truth that he is the son of God. So my question for us today, church, is, is our call really any different? Is what we are meant for really any different? To bear witness of the truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. Now, now maybe, maybe we don't prepare the way for Christ exactly like John the Baptist did, right? I get that. But even in that, I think we can follow John's example, can't we? I think the way that we prepare for the coming of the, of the Christ is not to baptize them and call them to repentance like John did, but, but maybe we, we don't prepare, prepare it like he did, but maybe we do it by loving people extraordinarily well. Stay with me on that, right? Stay with me on that. Like loving people extraordinarily well. Maybe, maybe we could prepare for, for the gospel, prepare the way for Christ to come into people's lives by showing people grace that they just simply don't deserve. Maybe we could prepare the way for, for the truth of, of Christ to come is by showing mercy to people when they haven't earned it. They just haven't earned it. Maybe it happens when we show people kindness who have, have not been kind at all to us. Maybe people who have treated us poorly, but we return, their, we return that, that, that anger, that bitterness, that resentment, that whatever they did, we return that with kindness that they know is not deserved. That doesn't make any sense. What if we did it by loving other people that others ignore? By loving the outcast that other people have cast aside. What if, we, what if we reflected that? What if we prepared the way for the gospel by giving our money and our time and our lives to others to make, make sure they know that they are dear to us? Where it would be so much easier just to focus on ourselves. Now, church, maybe we don't prepare the way exactly like John the Baptist did, but maybe we do it by, by like, listen, truly loving God with everything in us and then loving others as ourselves. And maybe if we do that, maybe if we reflect that, then maybe if we do, maybe we'll be able to till the ground of people's hearts, hard hearts, right? Till it up, till the ground of people's hard, hard hearts, and, and maybe soften up their hearts a little bit. So when we do get around to calling them to the gospel, sharing the gospel, when we do get around to calling them to repentance, because listen, that's what we're doing. We're calling people to repent to Jesus Christ, to admit their sin, to lay it down and accept them as their savior because of what he did on the cross. So maybe by the time we do share the gospel and call them to repentance, they'll be able to hear it and the truth of the gospel will take root and fertile soil because we helped prepare the way through the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's our call. Maybe we're more like the John the Baptist than we think. Because you see, I used to wonder what the call of my life was, but I don't any longer. I don't wonder any, I, I don't wonder any longer. The call of my life is the same as the call on John the Baptist's life, to bear witness to others that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
That he is the lamb that takes away our sin, your sin, if you would just believe in faith to share the testimony of the cross of Jesus Christ, that he died on that cross to take away your sin. I know you don't deserve it, and I know the things that you've done, and Christ knows the things that he's done, but he wants to forgive you and love you and wash it all away so that you can have redemption from the true exile, the slavery of sin, and be delivered into the promised land, the kingdom of God as a child of God. That's what I'm meant for. I know it. I don't question it. And listen, it has nothing to do with me being a pastor. God's not calling all of you to be a pastor. You don't, to, to do what John did, to do what God has called all of us for, to do what you were meant for. You don't need to be a pastor. You don't need to be a church worker. And you don't need to work for a Christian nonprofit. You just need to be faithful. Because there's a, there are people right now where you live and where you work and in your family, and in your circles, and in our city right now, that do not truly know Christ. They do not understand that he truly is the Son of God. They don't know what it means for him to be the Lamb of God. They haven't had the truth really revealed to them yet. So the real question is, Will you stop wondering what you're really meant for? What you're really called to do? And just simply start living it out. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we worship you today. God, it's so easy to see why your gospels are called the good news, why Jesus Christ is our good news, to see the prophecies and the promises over thousands of years all come together, all the promises fulfilled, starting with the ministry of John the Baptist and moving into the ministry of your son, Jesus Christ. God, I think for most of us in this room, we know this is the central, central call of our life. God, I think most of us know that this is what we are meant for. So I pray, God, that you would just give us whatever we need, do whatever you need to do in our lives. Stir up whatever you need to stir up, take away whatever you need to take away, change whatever you need to change so that we might see this so we might believe this, so that we might walk in this, and so that we might let go of the distractions of this world that want to pull us away from what we're meant to do, what we're actually called to do. God, I know there's people in this room that genuinely want to do this, but family life and work life and, I don't know, God, homeschooling and busy schedules and sports schedules and everything else, that just none of these things, bad things, most of these things, wonderful things, just distract us from the call. And so, God, I pray that you would do what you do. You would help. I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict and stir and grow and create desire and help us to walk forward. But the truth is, God, you've already given us all those things. We just need to walk in it faithfully. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to walk in it faithfully. Do something in our church, Lord. Make us different than the world. Make us a light in this city. Make us a city on a hill. Help us to reflect the, just the glory of who you are, Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb of God.
the one who truly delivers, who saves, who welcomes us as your brother into the kingdom of God. Jesus, be with us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.